if we stop making an effort with our clients, even after 20 years of lots of wins and lots of hero things out there, the phone will stop ringing. Hello, I'm Andrew May, and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we chat with experts in a range of fields and delve into their lives to find out what fuels them and to find lessons that can be applied to running a small business, which is especially important right now. Joining me for another episode is Anna Marinkovic, the Executive General Manager of NAB Small Business Bank. And Anna, we get excited about all of our podcasts, but we're really finding that, that people are listening to this information and applying it. It's so important right now. Thank you, Andrew. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to today's guest. Chris Karagunas, thank you very, very much. Thanks, Andrew, and it's, it's, it's great to be here, and thank you. Well, you're a humble man, so let me let our audience know your list of attributes because we'll probably have to squeeze them out of you, but you've been in recruitment, the top of your game, for 20 years, over 20 years. You're a former board member of both the Leadership Council and White Line, and White Line is an organisation that mentors young people in the justice system, does an amazing job. Chris Carrigunas, how on earth do you manage to run Alex Carr Australia as managing partner as well as have four children? So you're officially welcome to the podcast and we're starting with most of our guests asking right here, right now, what are you doing to help your body, so your physical health and your mindset, your psychological health, to, to help you right through these COVID conditions? Yeah, thank you for asking. It's, um, oh, look, I think every Victorian is doing it tough and doing it tough in different ways. Me personally, um, I'm, I'm, I've learned I've learned through this 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 pandemic that I'm actually uh, genuinely a very grateful person. I'm grateful that um, I'm in the position that I'm in, where I've got space and I'm not on top of my family, or they're on top of me. Uh, but I'm also grateful that I've I've been uh, raised uh, by my parents to have uh, plenty of resilience and strength. And I think the starting point in surviving a lockdown is being grateful. Uh, which 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 I am, and uh, you have to work hard to be grateful. What I do uh, at at home, I do like getting up early, and I do like uh, very much getting my day started with um, with some exercise. the the days that The days that I don't exercise um, to to fill fill myself with energy, I'm, I'm lethargic during the day. And if there's one thing that I've been very cons- more consistent has been exercise, so I'm very happy about that. So what does your morning to routine look like? What time do you get started? What sort of activities do you do? Um, well, I like, I like reading um, what high-performance people do, and I did read somewhere once that uh, winners get up in the fives, uh, and I set my alarm for 5.59. Uh, and my, my, morning, my morning typically starts with um, having to arrange an espresso for my wife, Daniela, so that's, the first, that's my first task of the day. But I get that task done and my day doesn't start off well um so i get the espresso to daniela and then um, i'm lucky that i've got a, a gym in the house and i'll, I'll do a, a, a zoom class um i'll um, do my own thing with, with weights or the, or the, or the rowing machine for, for 45 minutes and that's 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 what i do to get started and then and then having to get the get the kids ready to get to school and then I typically get to my desk at about 8.30, quarter to nine. I love that you've read that about high performance starting in the five. So you consciously, and, and you didn't smile when you did that. So I can see that you you do start at 5.59am. It, it is a mindset, isn't it? 5.59. It sure is. You've got to, you, I, I do believe you've got to get up early. And if you win, if you win the morning, you win the day. Now, very, very different introduction from you, Arda, compared to any other guests we've had, which I really like, Chris. You, you mentioned the word being grateful, that COVID has taught you to be grateful. We didn't tease that out of you. You mentioned that up front. So I'd like to double click on that a little bit. What, what, what are you grateful about now? Or what are you more present of now in your life than you were pre-Monday, March 15th, when we were told to WFH work from home? I think for me, what, what I'm really grateful for and perhaps what I took for granted beforehand was just the privilege of being around people. You know, it's, it's one thing engaging over a screen, but for me personally, it's not the same as being physically with people. And that's, that's what I'm grateful for is, is in the last six months, um, the way that I've been catching up with uh, the people that I need to do business with um, and even even friends and family used to physically get out and meet them at the park and go for a walk. Just just the simple, the simple things like going for a walk or, or sitting in the park, which we're allowed to do so now. That that's something I 
I took for granted. When doing these uh, interviews, we look at backstory and backstory involves research. So Cara and Caroline, our producers, tend to go online and dig in and find some information. It was very interesting when they did that with you. And I know you and Anna know each other and Anna's got some some questions about your involvement and some of the business experience you've had in a moment. But you you don't have a big digital footprint. In, in fact, it's a tiny digital footprint. Is that by default or design? Uh I think it's more a function of I'm, I'm actually a late adopter of everything. So it's I haven't been deliberate with um, having a light digital footprint. Um, I, did, I did skip the Facebook uh, revolution, so that probably explains why there's a low digital footprint. I don't have Twitter, um, but I have Instagram, which is primarily just for family and friends and whoever is friends with me on Instagram it's it's basically photos of kids, uh, no selfies really, and I do have a significant presence on on LinkedIn because that's that's a big part of my professional existence. But overall, yes, um, I don't have a digital footprint, and um, I'm actually kind of pleased. I'm actually quite a private person, and I like being very very loud with with my friends and my family and my colleagues. But but publicly, um, I do I do enjoy and I do prefer having a very low-key profile. I can feel some people either listening to this podcast, Chris, or watching this perhaps on our video cast, and they're, they're twitching at the moment because they may be millennials who've grown up with the mobile <laughs> phone, you know, drop and drag, click generation and have been taught it's all about eyeballs <laughs> and likes and swipes and recommendations and posts and clicks. So what would your advice be to someone who is on their mobile phone for hours a day? Interesting now, right? We get screen time reports. And uh, when I'm coaching people on this, Arno, we often have a bit of a laugh like, Oh, do you spend much time on your mobile? No, no, not, not, not a long time. And give me your mobile. We go into the settings, look at the report. You've been on average four hours and 50 minutes a day. Oh, it's been a busy time. So what would you say, Chris, to those people who either feel that they have to be on social media and on their mobiles the whole time to run a business? You run a, a hugely successful business with a very small digital footprint. Yeah, we've only, we've only started the digital activity with Alex Carr just, just in the last 12 months. And uh, I must confess, uh, it's taken me by surprise. Um, we, we neglected digital for quite some time. We, we, we kind of had a presence, but we weren't active. Uh, and through a lot of influence from one of my, one of my team that uh, will, if you, were to, if you were to ask them, they've been lobbying me for nine years to, to embrace social media. And now that we've embraced it, I've seen firsthand how it's been very effective in um, winning business, winning advocacy, and creating efficiency for us. So I'm, I'm quite stunned how powerful it is. With regards to how much screen time we have, I, I, I think like a, like a lot of things in life, there's, there's got to be a balance that with you. Um, I think from a, from a professional perspective, executives that don't embrace LinkedIn, massive lost opportunity. In fact, in fact, they're not relevant. Mm. If an executive doesn't understand social media, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, the whole thing, um, they're, they're, they're becoming more redundant than they think. Um, likewise, for those that are seeking their vitality through how many likes, um, then I think that's, that's, that's not good either. In fact, uh, last week, uh, one of my colleagues made a comment that uh, we didn't have enough likes uh, on one of our posts, and my response was, "Well, likes don't equal profit, and, and likes don't shouldn't equal vitality as well." Yeah, I had a, a friend I used to work with a number of years ago, actually, in consulting, who went out into her own business, and she said to me recently, "Chris, Andrew, I've got thousands of friends on social media. I post on Twitter, and I get hundreds of likes, but I had no one to go out to dinner with on Saturday night." So I think when we get caught up on the whole likes and the social <laughs> likes, and not actually look at the real connection. And talking about real connection. One of the things that I love looking in small business is the amount of small business owners who have a, an immigrant background. So Karagounis is a lovely Greek name from my understanding. Uh, were you born in Australia or did you, were you born in Greece and then you, you migrated when you were young? No, I was, I, I was born in Melbourne um, at uh, Cabrini Hospital, like, like, like many people. Uh, but my parents migrated from uh, Greece to Australia in the early 60s as economic migrants. And like a lot of Greeks, and Italians and other um, folk that come to Australia. But back, back in those days, the idea was to come to Australia for a few years, um, make some money and then go home. And many, many have stayed. So I'm glad they've stayed because Australia is, is the lucky country. And if you look back at what's going on in Greece now, it's uh, really, really tough. Mm. Great place to visit, but 
you know, not, a, not a good place to, to live and raise a family. Which part of Greece were your parents from? They're from the north, which is the, um, like, like in, in, in Melbourne's or Victoria's equivalent, it's like um, Dalesford, uh, very mountains, lots of rivers, lots of waterfalls, but it's, it's a rural, rural country where, where they're from. So they're not, they're not from the city. Forgive my pronunciation, but it's Thessaloniki, up that area up north? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, up that way. Thessaloniki, yeah, up that way, a little bit, a little bit further a little bit further south. Yeah, I've caught a train through there. Gorgeous mountain ranges and big alpine trees and cascading waterfalls. Uh, yeah, what did right. What did you take from your parents? Like what values, what lessons did you get from your parents as a young boy when they obviously moved out, out to Australia? Well, what I, what I remember as a young young boy growing up with the two brothers is my parents, all, all they did was work. Um, and I remember on the weekends we'd have to entertain ourselves and I remember um, my mum, my mum and dad worked seven days a week for years and years and years. And the reason why they worked that hard is um, what what they believed in. Particularly, my mum was was education. And um, you know, I, I still can't believe that my parents, blue collar, working hourly rates, sent three kids to Scotch College in Melbourne. So it was a really, really weird way to grow up, um, growing up in that environment and going to school. In a, in, in a different community, but what I do, what I have taken from them is is uh, work, work ethic, and and sometimes I feel I do work too hard, but that's the way that I was bred. Yeah, it's hard, isn't it? When you've got that in your DNA, when you've seen your parents do that, and it's a l- lovely story, and you're obviously very proud of what your parents did as well to put three boys through Scotts College. It's a big effort to come out here. Did they speak English when they came out, or did they have to learn English when they arrived? No, my mum. My mum's um, always been into learning. Um, she went and completed a um, law degree in the seventies, so she's always been one of these education people. In fact, she was the one that was driving the education for us. My dad, not so much. And she spoke English pretty well, but my dad speaks speaks broken English, but still still understands English mm. and can read the newspaper. So, what do you put down your long-term success or your sustainability, you think you work too much, you must have some ways of relaxing physically and psychologically because one of the big things we see, Chris and Anna, you see this with NABs so much with these small business owners who are so passionate and you know, your self-identity becomes inextricably linked with your role identity. You know, you're the, the shop owner, you're the small boutique consultant, you've got the flower shop, the coffee cart. How do you sustain yourself or how do you recover and not get to the end of the year and fall in a heap? I, I do take I do take lots of holidays. Uh, so when I say work hard, I work hard when I'm supposed to work hard. And uh, uh, an early mentor of mine, um, back 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 when I first started my career in recruitment, um, they said really eight to six. If you work really hard from eight to six, do the best you can, you'll be fine. And, and I do. I work hard from eight to six. Sure, during pandemic period, we, we are working a, bit, a little bit harder. But in the last twenty years, I've been pretty consistent eight to six. Very rarely do I take work home, uh, so I do. I do have R and A every night. Uh, I've always enjoyed um, beach holidays, and every year we'd, we'd get on a plane and chase the sun somewhere around the world. And in the last few years, I've always taken a month off in January and uh, spent it down at our beach house where, where I don't do anything. So when I work hard, I work hard, and when I stop, I, I don't think about work and put my feet up and I enjoy sun and salt water and seafood. Mm. Look, I, I love hearing that, but I know I can just hear people listening to this screaming going, it's all right for you, Chris Garagonis. You've been building this portfolio and you've, you know, you've got the opportunity now or perhaps people might think the luxury, incorrectly, to take holidays. What would your advice be to a business owner who just feels slammed by COVID? They're working around the clock for those business owners that are working from home. There's no delineation now. You know, we wake up from go to bedroom, you go make an espresso for your wife or partner, then you do the Zoom calls and then your office is right next door as well. So they can feel like there's no break. For someone who is in that mindset right now and feels that there's just no respite, no recovery, what would your advice be to them? I acknowledge it's really hard, um, and I, and the reason why I'm happy, I'm actually at at peace with what's going on because there's so many businesses out there that are doing it really, really tough. Um, you know, Anna would see it with her customers, the big customers that are, are doing it really, really tough. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that we're not and we're going okay. Um, but my, when I've been in tough times with the business, and I did have really tough time during the global financial crisis. Uh, where commerce in executive recruitment stopped. Um, and 
the counsel that I was given by um, mentors of mine back then was um, you've got to break it down to just one day at a time. If, if you're going to be horizon thinking and thinking about the next three months, it's going to be overwhelming. But if you, you just got to take it one day at a time and just survive one day at a time, it makes it easier. Um, and also when revenue is down, um, you've, you've got to, I was taught to change the goalposts. If you can't book revenue, you book goodwill with your clients and hopefully you hang in there with whatever stimulus you get from government, whatever help the banking gives, whatever savings you might have. But during, during, during dark times, if you book goodwill, the customers remember and it comes back twice fold. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to us during the GFC. We didn't make any money, but we worked with our clients so hard to, to bank goodwill and whatever we didn't make in that 12-month period, we made, made it back and more and the market recovered because it will recover. I love that. When you can't bank revenue, you bank goodwill. Um, big takeout. I, I thought you may have facetiously said, Andrew, the way I have work-life balance is I have four kids. So for anyone who, who wants to switch off from work, just have some more kids. And for those who are watching this on video, Chris is, is shaking his head very, very seriously at the moment. Uh, what, what is having four kids taught you? Obviously, you're a very passionate family man. I love the bookends are about 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. But what, what, do, what do your kids teach you? Oh, look, for me, they've, they've, uh, well, they, they teach me patience because I'm an impatient person. And with kids, adults under pressure can expect too much of the kids and expect them to think like adults and work at pace like adults. So I've, I've learned that you've got to be very patient. I'm going to remind myself of that because I'm always impatient with them. You've got to be very understanding. Uh, we have one of our children, a little one, has autism. So that, that's, a, that's a whole other level of uh, understanding. And um, you, you, you've got to, you know, I've, I've got to learn to be more present when I'm, when I'm with them because it's, it's very hard to sit here working in my house. Kids come home, I'm supposed to switch off from work because it's pressure and then, be, and then be present. So these are some of the things that I need to work on. It's easy for me to say it, but uh, you know, it's, hard, it's hard to action it. Mm. So your, your little one with autism, well, what, what is her or his, him, what's him. his superpower? And the reason I ask that question, I was in Byron Bay about 18 months ago. Uh, we have mm-hmm. a, an annual boys weekend. We call it Hofside. I went to so finish school in Dubbo. So I was there with uh, my mates. And one of my mates, Dino, has a, a child with autism. And we stopped in the street and there was this guy saying, do you want me to tell you a joke? And we said, yeah, tell us a joke. Which country in the world? And um, we're talking to this guy. He knew every country in the world. Uh, Equatorial Guinea. He just told us a joke about Equatorial Guinea in the capital city. And then he just said to us, oh, I said, how do you do that? He said, oh, I'm, I'm on the spectrum. I've got autism. And my mate Dino said, oh, my son does as well. And this guy, I still remember, his, his name was Rich. He looked at Dino and said, what's his superpower? And, and, and my mate Dino, just, he just said to this day, he thinks about that story. It was just a beautiful way of looking at you know, not what's wrong, but what's the superpower. So what, what, what is the superpower? It's, it's too early to tell. He's um, to the naked eye. No one would notice because um, he, is, he is high functioning. He's got eye contact. Uh, he's very affectionate. Um, his superpower for me at this stage, he's, he's got amazing determination if he wants something. Um, he's an excellent negotiator um, so far. And I think he's going to be quite athletic because he's a, he's a very physical kid. Um, he's got great hand-eye-ball coordination. And he's, he's, he's very determined. But I'm, I'm, I haven't seen an obvious superpower yet, um, but it'll, it'll appear. Mm. Well, they all sound like superpowers to me, Chris. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a, a career ahead in recruiting. Maybe. I hope so. <laughs> Working in dad's firm. So, Chris, let's um, pivot um, the conversation um, to COVID and business world. So, in terms of your industry um, expertise, uh, it's across financial services, infrastructure, utilities, retail, digital, property, um, government, private equity, some really, really broad areas. And um, we know that you facilitate um, recruitment of some of the most uh, progressive and most senior roles um, across Australia's corporate landscape. What I want to kind of find out from you is that um, starting as a small business and now becoming a really big business, what challenges have you faced um, on that journey and how did you go about um, 
getting around them and turning them into opportunities for Alex Carr to become what it is today. Yeah, thanks, Anna. Um, look, it's quite amazing. The business started in 2005 and here I am 2020. What hasn't changed in that 15 years is our strategy. Right? We, 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 picked, we picked a lane in the market. We picked a segment, an expertise. We, we picked how we're going to engage with the market, and that hasn't changed, right? Um, that's, that's, that's positioned us really well. What was difficult when we started is no one had heard of the firm, and here we are now. We're a well-known firm, and I think I'm one of the longest-serving headhunters in, um, in Melbourne, and we're an established, well-established business. But make no mistake, if, if we stop making an effort with our clients, right, even after 20 years of of lots of wins and lots of successes and lots of appointments and lots of hero things out there. But if I stop investing in the things that we need to do to engage our clients, the phone will stop ringing almost immediately. You know, the market is, the market is, is very fickle. It does forget. And if you stop investing in your, in your clients, in your marketing activity, they will forget. And you have to play the long game in business. If you, if you try to, try to, too successful very, very quickly and be greedy, uh, then, then you're not going to win. You have to also have purpose in what we do. And we had a fantastic offsite last year where um, we, we, we tried to work out what why do we do what we do. And, and we all spent two days there together agreeing that the reason why we go to work is to support great people and great businesses achieving great things. That's it. We're not focused on revenue. And that's one thing as the managing partner in the 15 years that I've led the firm, I have not asked on one occasion what one's pipeline is. I never ask them what they're going to build next week. I never ask them what revenue is in the pipeline. But I will always ask them, who are you seeing next week? Which people are you going to make an impression on next week? Because if you do all those inputs, the revenue just happens by default. What's interesting, uh, Chris, is that... Um you said, you know, those uh, foundational fundamentals haven't changed um, in terms of the way the, your principles and values of Alex Carr have remained consistent over 15, you know, your 20, 15 to 20 year period. But the environment around us um, has changed. So what have you done in terms of um, delivering that uh, different innovative proposition because you are different and your your proposition is quite different to what's out there in the market the only thing that that has fundamentally changed for us is um is is digital because when alex car when when alex car started linkedin didn't exist right all the all the candidates were sourced through seek through research through advertising on print that doesn't exist anymore. So, so digital has certainly changed. Uh, but really, the what the reason why Alex Carr has been successful is because, from a client perspective, it's segmentation of one. Every single person we deal with, we have a customized engagement model for them. Every person's different, and I'd like to know. I'd like to feel that every person that engages that engages with us recognizes that we engage at a true spiritual, humanistic level, rather than uh, in, a, in a professional, uh, clinical. And that obviously uh, makes a difference because, you know, human connection matters and uh, no one wants to be seen as a transaction. Hi, we hope you've been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. Now, uh, in terms of the SME environment, uh, business environment, We've known, uh, Chris, that uh, it's been challenging even before COVID. And I know that you have some uh, pretty strong views around some of the regulation, uh, policies, laws um, that you feel uh, preclude um, allowing our small businesses to flourish and prosper across Australia. Would you like to comment um, on that, given that you deal with such a broad range of employers across the country? 
Well, my biggest gripe with with um, what it costs to run a business um, is is payroll tax. Um, so when we hire people as small business business owners and shareholders, we have to pay a tax on their salaries. Um, now, my understanding is that that payroll tax was introduced many, many years ago to, to um, and it was only a temporary measure and it's obviously stuck around. So there needs to be absolute reform on, on payroll tax and also reform on um, awards. Um, I understand back in the day, if you worked Sundays, you deserved double time because that was the family day. But Sunday in 2020 is very different to Sunday of 1975, right? So I've got friends and family that that own restaurants, for example, and with with the hourly rates on on the weekends, sure, the customers are engaged because they're they're having a good time. The employees are being recognised because they're getting paid uh, a lot more than what they would on a Monday, but there's no profit left for the, the owner. So why bother opening on Sundays? So there needs to be a complete overhaul on how we pay our people. And I'm not suggesting people don't get paid anything, uh, but there needs to be a, 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 a environment that allows the uh, business owner to seek a return on the risk that they've taken to start the business in the first place, but also create an environment for employees to have uh, a job and a career within that industry. And I suppose to also simplify the rules and regulations so that um, a business owner can quickly and efficiently uh, set up their teams and get on with with serving their customers rather than be stuck in in the enormous amounts of paperwork. And that is really um, congruent to what I hear from the small business community uh, quite uh, frequently. Now, that big um, elephant in the room, COVID, we know that it has had devastating impacts on employment across Australia. I've seen it in my own family. Are there any positive outcomes from this, um, Chris, going forward? Yeah, there are. There are. We've just got to be mindful that that, that media never like telling a good story. Uh, but the, what, what I'm fortunate about is, is from a firm's perspective, we see a cross-section of all industries from agriculture to aviation to tech to startup to financial services to government. And, and what's happening out there at the moment is you've got industries that are in absolute famine, right, as a consequence of COVID shutdowns and restrictions, right? Aviation, hospitality, tourism, events, catering companies, absolutely decimated. And, and I cannot even imagine how... I'd be feeling if I was one of those business owners. And I really feel for them. On the flip side, there are some businesses that are absolutely thriving in this environment that have um, COVID and lockdown has actually enabled them to um, accelerate their growth and reinvest back in the business. So I'm really thrilled to see manufacturing and supply chain and logistics and traditional bricks and mortar businesses that um, were finding it tough pre-COVID are now enjoying um, enjoying really fruitful times. Uh, and then you've got a whole lot of businesses that sit in the middle, like your own business owner at the NAB and energy companies, insurance companies. These businesses still need to serve customers. You know, we're not cancelling our, our car insurance because we're not driving our cars. Uh, but what these organisations are doing, they, they are fast-tracking transformation, right? It's, it's, it's happening at a rate and pace that I've never seen before. And I'm really proud of Corporate Australia for, for getting on with it and running their businesses. And I've never seen businesses operate so efficiently with people working from home, including, including our own business. But I'd, I, would, I would absolutely trade some of our performance so I could be back in the office with my colleagues. It doesn't need to be five days a week, but I'd really like to have three days a week yeah. where I can exchange physical energy with my colleagues. Absolutely. And I think this... this um falls nicely into the next uh, segment of the adversity and challenging times, Andrew. 
Yeah, Chris, you mentioned before the GFC and some of your learnings from that. And one of the things about the construct of psychological resilience is that ability to bounce back. But people can bounce back if they've got a reference point, meaning if you've had some hardship, some adversity, it tends to help us reframe. You know, I've gone through this before. I've been through challenging times or people have had relationship or health problems as well. But if we do rewind to 2008, Tell us a little bit about what you were going through. How did you feel? How did you respond when you're in the thick of it with the GFC? Yeah, that was a really tough time for me. Um, I was a young managing partner. I might have been 33, 34. Um, and it was the first time I had faced into a, a really tough business environment. Uh, we had um, a fair amount of um, debt on our home and on, on investments. And uh, commerce froze. It was it was worse then business wise than it is now. And um, I found that I found that really tough. I used to be um, I used to be petrified to go to bed at night because of what would wake me at three a.m. Um, I became addicted to watching Bloomberg um, and just watching markets collapse. You know, day after day, uh, I'd be lying in bed at night, uh, just liquidating assets in my head. Um, so that we can we can we can survive, um, and that's when I got the advice uh, from a mentor of mine, whom um, I know you've recently met, Anna. It said, um, you know, Chris, in, in, in tough times, this is where you change the goalposts. If you can't book revenue, you book goodwill, uh, and take it take it one take it one day at a time. It's easier to get through one bad day than thinking you're going to get through a bad year. And that um, that time gave me the antibodies. Um, so that I can be better placed during this pandemic because during COVID, I haven't, I haven't skipped a beat that night. Sleep like a baby. I really like how you use the word then antibodies because some of the new research coming out around stress and post-traumatic growth, they've done a lot of research with US soldiers, with Martin Seligman, showing that under stress, and if it's doses of stress, you know, inoculation, we can get a lot more growth as long as you have recovery. So interesting going back in 2008 when you're scanning Bloomberg, you, it sounds like a, even when you explained that, you looked heavy. Did you feel like when you went back there, your body demeanor, your yes. shoulders went up, you, you, you lost that relaxed, cool look you've had all interview? Well, I, well I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I, I remember it might have been in March 2008. Uh, I was downstairs, 3 a.m., cup of tea, couldn't sleep, and um, I was watching the, the Bloomberg. Now, not, not that I own shares, but... Um, markets are a leading indicator for economic activity. And if markets are green, corporates are hiring. If markets are red, they stop hiring. It's, it's almost as simple as that. And I remember the unemployment numbers were announced and they forecast 400,000 people were going to lose their job in the US in uh, the month of March or April. And the numbers came out and it was 800,000. Double lost their job in the month of whatever that month was, March. And I watched the Dow Jones sink 6% in about five minutes. And I remember standing up going, what is going to go on tomorrow on the ASX? And I remember I went upstairs and I sat on the floor watching my three-year-old sleep just to remind myself, this is why we're here. And I, and I remember calming down and I remember going to bed, falling asleep and waking up the next morning saying, right, I'll take it one day at a time. And then eventually the lights will come on. And, and for those small business owners that are doing it tough, um, take it one day at a time. It will get better. And... The objective now needs to be survival, even if it is borrowing a bit of money, asking the bank to defer interest, whatever whatever support you can get. Because when you come out the other end, those that are there will thrive. Great advice. I really like the way you've chunked that down. It's authentic and real. And for those who are watching on the video, you could see the real shift in your demeanor. You've just come back to being relaxed, cool, Chris, now. But obviously... <laughs> Yeah, that's in your wiring, right? And when you said the antibodies, that, that was a big dose uh, and probably you know, not a so-called healthy dose for post-traumatic growth because it hit you. But we are hoping that with this program, and Anna was your inspiration for doing this, is to give people the support, the, the Hebrew, prov, Hebrew proverb, this too shall pass. But when you're in the thick of the storm and you're looking at Bloomberg and you see a 6% reduction in the market overnight, you, you can get whipped into a frenzy, can't you? And, and that little voice inside our head, 
can be so powerful. It can be so powerful looking at your beautiful three-year-old resting. I think it's a lovely way of recovering. I look at an animal or a child sleeping and you have to relax. But that little voice can take over and it can become magnification. You know, the sky's falling in. So for anyone listening to this, watching this, if you do feel that, please rewind. Watch that bit again with Chris. Listen to that bit again. One step at a time. I think that's so important. Now, you don't have a big digital footprint. And you said you're going to tell a story. I'd like to open up on another story. And if you don't want to go here, you can tell me and we'll, we'll do a detour. But I did find one thing about you. Um, you found a family was in distress. They had a car stolen and they had an ill child and their vehicle was stolen and burnt. And you replaced their car. You didn't know that family? Yeah. Um, you want to tell us about? that? Uh, I remember it was a Saturday morning and... Um the routine was go downstairs and get your espresso. So I did that. And um, I remember I had a new iPad. It was around the time that the iPads were released and I thought it was pretty cool that you could get the age. Um, and, I, and I just came across a, an article of a family that um, was like there, there were four kids and there was, a, there was a mum and a dad. And I remember noticing the little girl. There was a little girl there that was almost an exact replica of that third child, Bianca, with a little bob hair. So I, I kind of drew to the to the little girl first, and I thought, "There's, she looks like Bianca." And then I read the article, which um, talked about this this family um, had their car stolen from their driveway, and um, it was torched down the road, uh, and that was the only form of transport that they had to take one of the older kids to the children's hospital for for some. Uh, treatment for a what was a terminal illness, and I just and again it comes back. To, I'm 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 very grateful, and you know I'm I'm in a position that that, that you know 99 of people would, would would swap with me, and I'm very I'm very lucky to have what I have. And I just emailed the journalist that day, and I said I'll just buy them a new car, and it was really nice driving down there to you know Point Cook, and um, given the car and the lady was, yeah, I mean, I forget her name and it wasn't about staying in touch, but I thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a fortunate position and it's, it, is, it is nice to help others. So that was, that was a nice day. Leaders cast large shadows and when you're in a position where you can help other people and take that opportunity to do it for goodwill, not for PR, I love hearing those stories. I believe it was like trying to squeeze blood out of a stone for people to get that story out of you. So I didn't know whether you'd be open to sharing it, but thank you. It tells us a lot about you. It tells us a lot about your compassion. But I'd like to just to drill a little bit more. Where did some of these values come from? You mentioned your family, you know, Greek working background, three kids put through Scotch College. Where did you learn these leadership lessons? Because like, you can't really go online and just do leadership you know, 2.0 or read a book, what are your most valuable lessons that you can impart that you've learned along the way in relation to leadership? I learn from everybody and um, I actually love watching people succeed no matter what they do, whether it's in corporate, whether it's in academia, whether it's sport, music, um, but I, I just love high-performance people, whatever they do. And I just gravitate to people that are amazing and I try to take whatever qualities um, I, I can from them. You know, I, I haven't, wasn't born like this. I've been conditioned and I just love being influenced by people that are winners in whatever pursuits they have. Uh, values, including not just, not just values, but also behaviours. It's a theme that runs through the interview. You're getting up at 5.59am because you've read high performers get up in the fives. <laughs> You're obviously a bit of a sponge on all this stuff around high performance, you know, you know learning, sponge, leading. Yeah. Can you tell us a good book or a movie or a quote you've read recently that has really inspired you around leadership and learning from others? And then I'm going to ask you if you know any German, but the, the question first about a quote, a book or a movie. A quote that I live by is... Um, Give without remembering, receive without forgetting. I really like that. Where does that quote come from? I don't know. Someone, I just picked it up somewhere. I don't know. But um, it's important to give to people. Give, give, give. You know, give your way to greatness and um, help help people. And look, not, not everyone's going to help you back. And, that, and that's okay. It shouldn't be a transaction. Um, but I'm a big believer in, in the universe doing the right thing. And if, you, if you're 
good to the planet and good to people, then goodness will come will come your way. Uh, but there'll be there'll be badness along the way. There'll be people that'll take advantage. Um, I also believe in um, the concept of um, you know, who matters. Everybody, everybody matters. Doesn't matter if someone is a chief executive or it's the guy at the bottom of that building holding up a big issue. Uh, they're all people, and we all. We all, we all start with nothing and we go with nothing and everything in between is, is a combination of ego and insecurity mixed, mixed, mixed together, right? Uh, but who matters for me? Everybody. And, and when, I'm, when I'm coaching executives on how to be better executives, I often, I often ask them, um, do you know the name of the person that cleans the toilet on your floor? And you'll find most executives don't. In fact, most executives, when they go to the bathroom at 10 a.m. And, it, and it's got this closed for cleaning sign, they'll huff and they'll be frustrated because they've got to go downstairs to level three while someone's cleaning the bathroom, right? So that person matters. So I believe in that, who matters. Um, I, don't, I don't read a lot of books. Um, I, should, I, should, I should read more. Um, I've, I've always been a visual person, which is why I like taking things visually and emotionally from, from people when I, when I spend time with them. But a book I did read um, many years ago that I found was, was quite profound is, is a book called um, The Monk That Sold His Ferrari. Robin Sharma. Great Robin book. Sharma. And, I'm a, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Robin Sharma. I, I just love just going to YouTube and just typing in Robin Sharma. And, uh, I'm trying to look my, like him with his haircut, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so I, that's a book that I, that I really enjoyed and it, and, it, and it resonated with me because – I do, I do lead a fast life with um, Monday to Friday. I'm incredibly dedicated to work and I think sometimes too dedicated and it takes me time to unwind. Um, but I also, I also really believe in, in what um, you know, Buddhism and, and, and peace is all about as well. Mm. That no amount of money can get your health back. That's right. That is very right. Uh, great people, great relationships, achieving great things. I said I was going to ask you, do you know any German? Not really, no. <laughs> and Anna, do you speak German? I know you speak multiple languages. No, no. I actually studied German at high school but um, didn't quite get to the point of uh, being um, fluent in it. Okay, so forgive my pronunciation because, Chris, I was born in Wagga Wagga and then I grew up in Dubbo and then I was cultured in Hobart, Tasmania, so my German pronunciation is not so strong. But there's two German words that I really sum up this interview. One of them sums up you. And that word is Mitfreud, which is the pleasure through seeing other people succeed and achieve. We may not have heard about that word and the audience may not have heard about that. They've heard about Scheidenfreud, which is pleasure through other people's misery. And what I love as this interview is unfolding, and I can see this is in your core, it's in your DNA. This is not just something you press play. It's real. It's, it's in, in, deep within you. It's your purpose. It's your belief. It just shines through. You do the right thing by other people. You have great relationships. You know, that story I could see when you talk to the CEO or the executive and they don't know the person cleaning the toilet, you can see your body again. You, you um, don't have a good poker face on some of these things when your emotions come through. But that's, that's just such a good philosophy to carry through our lives. And I think there's a real learning around that. And have you found, have you always been like that or have you had to learn to be like that? No, well, I, I think I think so. I've always thinking back to when I was a you know, kid, a kid at school. I always was happy for people when they got selected to be captain and, or, or won the race or whatever. Uh, but I was never. Um, I'm not a I'm not a jealous person or envious person. I do I do realise that sometimes those those qualities are innate in people, uh, and, and jealousy and envy do do breed. Do breed bad energy and then bad behaviour, um, but the who matters? Who matters? Everyone matters. Um, that concept I, I learned from someone who is a high performance person, and it's actually his words. They're not my words. So his words I, I now take, uh, and maybe it does symbolise how 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 I am. But I, it just comes back to advice to small business owners or to anyone wanting to advance in anything. Just, just surround yourself with, with great people and, and the greatness will, will rub off and their, their, their strengths will rub off. And if you've got negative people in your, in your life that, that, that take energy away from you or make you feel 80% of yourself, well, you've, you've got to look at that. And looking into the future, 
Grace, um, don't quite expect you to have a crystal ball and certainly everyone is a little bit foggy this year, but what's next for Alex Carr? What's next for the future of work? And what's next for Chris? Alex Carr's going to continue doing what it's doing, and that is supporting people with their careers and helping businesses find great people. Nothing's going to change there. Uh, Sure, we'll we'll be redefining our strategy. We'll be thinking about how we go to market differently. But the oracle of why we do exist won't, won't change. Me personally, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. There's, there's, there's nothing else out there I want to do. I've recruited that many amazing jobs. Uh, I don't think there's been one that um, I would take over what I do. Um, in terms of next year, look, like all issues in the planet over the years, this, this will pass. Um, it'll be tough, but we're just going to take it one one day at a time. Um, I see amazing opportunity out there um, for those that are valuable. And what I keep saying to executives when I ask them, Chris, how's the market? My response is wrong question. It's the wrong question to ask. It's not how's the market. The question should be what should I be doing to look amazing, sound amazing, be amazing? Because if you are that... You will, there will always be value for you. Value will find you. Mm. It's a theme that's coming through, Anna, in lots of our interviews. So it really is just about that, you know, doing the hard work, putting in the time and effort, the discipline, but doing the right work and feeding your brain, feeding your body, hanging out with good people. You might recall a, a very famous Robin Sharma quote is ideation without execution equals delusion. So there's plenty of people out there that have grand, most people have grand ambitions for their businesses or for their own careers or performance, but they're not prepared to put the effort in as to what it takes to achieve that. And learning, that continuous need for curiosity and learning, reinventing, pivoting, changing, transforming. Um, it, 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 it's, it's not something that potentially, you know, it's not an easy thing, right? It's not. But I see it with some of the most senior folk that I deal with that are board members that are in their 70s, for example, um, and they refer to me as a reverse mentor, which is quite flattering to think that I'm mentoring them, but then they'll pull me aside and say, Chris, you know, you, you are connected to that segment. You know what that's all about. I don't know. I'm 30 years older than you, mm. and the only way I could be relevant to people like you is to understand people like you. So Absolutely. Um, that, that, that's that's the high performance people is what, what, what they're all about is just constantly wanting to learn and 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 you'll find I find some of the some of the most impressive you know, leaders that are in their seventies surround themselves with millennials yeah, to understand their target market and to understand that segment the needs and the wants absolutely so I got, got a, a question who mentors or coaches the reverse mentor. Well, it's it's a it's a it's a two way exchange. Right? They don't realise that they're each mentoring each other. Do you have a coach, or do you have a a mentor? Do you have a, a board of people? We know some high performers will have a, a an unofficial or an official board of people they go to for different different information, different facts. Do you have a bunch of people in your life, sort of the closed group that you go to for counsel, for support, for coaching, for for pushing? Sure. Well, the, um, well, I have my wife at home. That's that's. Um, who Anna's met. So if I want the truth, I'll ask her. Um, sometimes I'll, in fact, more often than not, I get the truth without even asking. Um, I was just about to say, of course you would. <laughs> get, like any like any husband out there. I get the feedback, <laughs> I get the feedback without even asking. So at least at least I know it's true. But there's sure there's 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 a bunch of people out there that um, I, I would call friends in business, uh, but also friends, friends socially that are more accomplished and more experienced than me that I'm always catching up with and asking advice, asking feedback, sharing stories. Uh, but I, I, I don't have a formal a formal coach. I, I have had a formal coach a couple of times over the years and it's been very, very helpful and I would, would certainly encourage every executive out there to have a formal coach and every business owner out there to um, have some sort of formal engagement, whether it's with your banker or whether it's with a, your accountant or your lawyer, uh, to, to, to constantly be, be asking questions and, and, and sharing sharing problems with. I'll tell you another quote that I like is um, a problem shared is a problem halved. 
Mm. So true. A, a leading organisational psychologist. Do you know Adam Grant? And have you followed much of Adam's work? Yeah, I think you'd really just your philosophy. I'll just write yeah, that Adam, down. Adam, Adam Grant. Grant. He's uh, got a, yeah. a podcast as well with Ted. It's a great podcast all about how to make work okay. suck less. And Adam Grant talks about having a balance between cheerleaders and challengers. And I think that's a really nice way of looking at it because yeah. often high performers, you know, the, the John Buchanan, a coach of the Australian cricket team, used to say, a fish rots from the head. And if you're a high performer going well in whatever domain, small business, medium enterprise, large business, and you only have people around you who tell you're doing a great job, you don't get that constructive feedback that you need. So I, I love that notion of having some cheerleaders because, you know, we all want to be told at times we're doing a great job, but we need some challenges. And I think that's a really important path of growth. And as Anna said, that that mindset to evolve, continually learn and adapt. Yeah. It takes, it takes a lot of courage to surround yourself with challenges because a challenge is always going to actually challenge you and tell you what you don't want to hear. And you need to be prepared to absorb the um the um, direct constructive feedback and not take it personally. Hmm. So many more questions we'd like to ask. I've got one, but before I go, Anna, your final words to Chris today? Oh, apart from uh, the fact that um, I always learn from our interactions, um, Chris, I actually think you do have one of the coolest and best jobs um, in Australia. And I just do. that sense of, I suppose, um, of, of uh, joy in, in seeing uh, people flourish, develop, succeed, and then give back uh, in that journey it must be incredibly um, satisfying. So uh, it's always wonderful to catch up with you, learn from you, um, and uh, understand, uh, as you said, where the market is. No, thank you, Anna. My pleasure. And thank you also for all your support with um, the bank and all of our all of our. Uh, requirements from the bank. It certainly is, is very helpful having access to the boss so you can get stuff done quickly. <laughs> Thank you. So, Chris, is there a book in the wings, The Monk Who Didn't Sell His Executive Recruitment Firm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'll, I'll, I do have a book on my bedside table that I will start reading, which is a, a famous book that many have read called Shoe Dog. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I'm going to be more direct. You're such a humble man. He, it's an example of mid-Freud again. And apologies to my German friends for the, the Dubbo pronunciation. you got a book in you. <laughs> Have you ever thought of writing a book? And if you did write a book, what, what, would, you, what would you write about? Oh, look, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really a writer. I've gone totally off never, script. <laughs> I was never good at English and I was never good at writing. Um, but I'll... No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't thought about it. Um, as you can tell, I don't. I don't like talking about myself um, in the third person. Um, I do. I have. Been, I have been told that before. Um, or someone suggested you should speak or write. Uh, but I'm actually very happy doing what I'm doing, and I, and I, I like doing it in a one-on. I actually prefer being one-on-one, -on -one, having these sorts of conversations, rather than a a, a mass community. Mm. We've discussed lots of things today. We've discussed mindset. We've discussed leadership. We've discussed your views on small business. We've discussed how important it is to have partners around you, including a great bank that supports you through the good times and the challenging times. We've spoken a lot about gratitude and uh, connection and loved ones and loads and loads of themes. We've spoken about the constant thread that goes through your life. It's not about chasing dollars. I think that's a, such an important message, Anna. We can sometimes, I know as a small business owner, we can chase revenue, 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 revenue and get obsessed about it and not focus on what drives the revenue. So lots of great messages. In wrapping up, Chris, is there a question that Anna and I should have asked you or you would have liked us to have asked you or is there a question you would like to ask us? A question that I... I like asking people, um, but maybe you could have asked me, was um, something along the lines of when through the course of the week are you at your happiest? I like asking people that. Um, and the answer's... You're going to listen to future podcasts with Anna and I and you're going to hear when, that. That's a cracker of a question. Anna, are you going to ask him or am I? God, it's hanging there. We've got to hear the answer to this question. Come on, we have to hear the answer, Chris. I'm, I'm at my happiest 
Um, and it's not a happy place. I don't believe in a happy place. You know, people post and walking along the beach saying my happy place is Bondi Beach or whatever. My my happy place is not a physical place. My my I'm at my happiest when I'm with amazing people, um, breaking bread, a good good food, good wine, good company. Whether it's at a nice restaurant or whether it's in the middle of a paddock sitting on a milk crate around a campfire, um, if it's the right people and we're breaking bread, exchanging energy, that that is when I'm at my happiest. Well, can I thank you? for breaking the bread with us metaphorically over Zoom and audio. And it's been lovely to share this time with you. Lots of lessons. I think that quote's going to be lasting for me. Great people, great relationships, achieving great things. So many really, really, really powerful messages for small business owners and even people running bigger businesses and executives to put into practice. I do have a question to ask you two, though. Go, Chris. Oh, yeah, go. <laughs> is, is there any counsel you can give me You've asked me lots of penetrating you know, personal business task style questions and personal questions, and I've, and I've responded in, in the best way I know how. Can you give me any counsel on um, how I can improve in the game of life? Chris, when I meet people um, like yourselves who are fulfilled across many different areas of life, I think there comes a time then in life when you kind of look at how can one contribute even more and have an impact on a broader section of people. And I think that your experiences overcoming adversity, building out something out of nothing and and creating uh, such an impact in the industry whilst creating, you know, hundreds upon hundreds of really enduring relationships is, uh, is a journey that is worth sharing, perhaps even uh, a bit more broadly, so that others can learn from it and so that others potentially might think differently about the opportunities uh, that are out there but perhaps uh, not in plain sight. So the advice that I would give you is uh, to continue to share um, as much as possible and to continue to live a good life that you can continue to be proud of. Thanks, Anna. But all this stuff that has been achieved um, hasn't just been me. I might be the captain. I might be the captain of the team, but there's a team behind me. Um, current people, um, past people that have come through the firm, and everyone has made a massive contribution. So you know, it's, it's, it's nice to say. Chris has created Alex Carr. Well, there's 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 a lot of people behind Alex Carr. I just happen to be the one that's 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 the captain, and it comes with great pleasure. And you know, I wouldn't be here without contribution from others, including you, Anna. Thank you, Chris. I think that's a great question. I've got two things. One is I think that shows the awareness you've got and the comfort you have to ask this in a podcast. Um, yeah, you, you know, you can edit podcasts, but this is live as we're doing it, right? So, so I want to commend you. So I'm I'm going to frame this. So I'm going to give the cheerleader part first. So with your permission, I'm going to go into challenge. So the cheerleader part is I commend you for asking that question. Not a lot of people would ask that question. And Anna summarized it very similar. Anna, we're on the same page. I think we've been doing this for a fair while now. We're starting to think alike. That's, that's scary for you, Anna. But the challenge part, and I won't do this live now, But I'd encourage you to just pull that thread a little bit and whether it's family of origin or going back to, a lot of this comes back to the frames we form as a young kid and especially with humble beginnings. Why should you not share your story? And I would challenge you to share it without having to apologize and to really own and hold that space and continue the humility, continue the presence you've got. And I think you can make even more of an impact by not apologizing for that. So with framing that on the challenge part, why shouldn't you write a book? Why shouldn't you be telling more people about this? And I think if you can sort of, uh, and I say this underscore, I've had to do this myself, um, why should you not get up on a stage and share what you've got, but then don't have that little voice going, oh, you shouldn't be doing this, or you know, why are you doing this? That would be my challenge to you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you for having me. Congratulations on your collective successes. Anna, thank you again for including me in, in what is a very privileged 
um, privileged time for me this last hour. Thank you. Chris Carragunas, thank you very, very much. Yeah. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We'd love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit. 